Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, ready to jump in the pool? How to ensure everyone stays safe this summer at both public and backyard swimming pools as the countdown to summer is on. Also this morning, do morals and ethics have a place anymore in the high-stakes corporate world? For that matter, did they ever? A conversation with the author of the new thriller, Unfinished Business. In case you missed it, this week, seven former fraternity members appeared in court on charges in connection with the death in March of BGSU sophomore Stone Foltz. What will it take to finally end the problem of hazing on college campuses? And we have another collection of yummy recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, May 21st, 2021. Uh, By the way, I just want to uh, mention that uh, we are uh, doing the show from the home studio this morning. Uh, We're in the bunker on this Friday, and um, I just could not resist such a beautiful morning that I've got the uh, window of the uh, home studio thrown open. So in case you hear the occasional bird chirping or a car driving by on the street outside my house, (laughs) that's why, because I just couldn't. It's so beautiful Uh, already this morning and uh, going to be an absolutely gorgeous weekend so i had to throw the window open and uh so it, you may hear that some of that natural uh, noise do not be concerned today by the way in case you need a reason to celebrate as if the beautiful weather and the upcoming weekend wasn't enough today is the world day for cultural diversity for dialogue and development Now, I have no idea what all that means. (laughs) I'll spend the rest of the day trying to figure that out, but it is the World Day for Cultural Diversity for Dialogue and Development. It sounds very important, so I figured I'd better mention it. It is also Endangered Species Day. It is International Tea Day. International Virtual Assistance Day. So celebrate Siri or your uh, Google Assistant or whatever. National Bike to Work Day which would be a good day to do that today, to be sure. National Memo Day. Take down this memo. It is Bike to Work Day. National Pizza Party Day. National Strawberries and Cream Day. And National Waiters and Waitresses Day. So a big shout out to all of the servers. And a rough year, to be sure. So this is your day. So have you uh, signed up? My wife and I had a... A really serious conversation yesterday. Uh, we sat down because you got to be on the same page uh, with this. We sat down and had a serious discussion about how we will spend the million dollars we're going to win in the Vaxa Million <laughs> giveaway. Because <laughs> you want to make sure that you're on the same page. You don't want this to, uh, to cause any uh, marital strife when one or the other of us wins. Um <laughs> First drawing coming up here. But your odds are better than the the regular lottery, right? I mean, not as many people are going to be in this. But uh, anyway, turns out Ohio is not the only one who has uh, come up with this idea of giving away money as an incentive to encourage people to get vaccinated for COVID-19. Two more states uh, are giving their residents the chance to win big. Uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo says those who get vaccinated will get free scratch-off lottery tickets that could pay out as much as $5 million. I think it's a special game that their New York State lottery has come up with uh, specifically for 
vaccinated users. So you get a uh, you get the vaccine, you get a lottery ticket, and uh, you could win five million bucks. And there are a lot of other uh, prizes as well. Maryland uh, is putting up two million dollars total for a series of forty thousand dollar prizes, and then there will be a big drawing, a grand prize drawing for four hundred thousand dollars, and. You know, this is uh, taking a lot of heat. There are a, a lot of uh, people are saying this is really a dumb way to spend taxpayer dollars to give it away in this vaccination lottery and so on. But say what you will, to be fair, it appears to be working. Uh, in Ohio, I saw a report yesterday in Ohio, uh, since the lottery drawing, the Vaximillion drawing uh, was announced, uh, vaccination rates have uh, spiked up by like 25 percent, 24, 25 percent, something like that. So, I mean, I understand the argument uh, is that the federal funds uh, that it came from the government were to encourage people to get vaccinated. And the I think the idea they had in mind was uh, getting out public service announcements and um, making the vaccine easier to get with uh, more clinics and, and that kind of thing. But if the ultimate goal was to get more people to get vaccinated, it appears that the lottery giveaway idea actually has worked. So I don't know, you know, if that changes anybody's mind on it, but uh, for what it's worth. And I mentioned yesterday, I mean, I've signed up. I get all of the uh, criticism and I uh, would certainly agree. I don't know that it's the best use of taxpayer dollars, but they're going to give it away anyway. (laughs) They may as well give it to me. And, uh, (laughs) <laughs> if they if they don't use it, they got to send it back to the federal government. You know they're going to find a way to spend it. So, hey, I you may as well give it to me. I'll take it. Uh, CDC recently announced that uh, fully vaccinated people can ditch their face masks in most situations. But by the way, uh, I, I heard if you were thinking of taking a vacation by air, and a lot of people are vacationing this year, making up for lost time from summer of 2020 and from what i understand the faa has extended even though the cdc guidance says you can ditch the masks if you are fully vaccinated the faa has extended the mask mandate for airports and airlines until september i think i read yesterday so uh, just something to keep in mind if you are uh, going and there are federal fines involved and all of that so just to make you aware if you were planning on vacationing this summer. But anyway, I digress. CDC announced that uh, fully vaccinated people can ditch their face masks in most situations. But for some people, this was, I I thought, interesting in this uh, story uh, off the uh, newswire this morning. From uh, For some people, this announcement has caused great anxiety. Uh, Some women in particular are noting an unintended benefit to wearing a mask. No more (laughs) catcalls. I guess I hadn't really thought about it, but I'm not a woman, so I guess why would I? Uh, Women on Twitter are discussing it. One user wrote, does anyone else like wearing masks so that fewer dudes catcall or stop you and try to uh, chat on the street? And uh, a lot of people liked that uh, post. So apparently this has been the solution to a longstanding problem. Somebody else posted, best thing about masks is that men can't tell me to smile when I'm out in public. I'm probably guilty of that, and I guess that's something that I've got to get out of my 
mind is to tell per- come up and say, hey, smile. Uh, but I guess women don't like that, so I should probably stop that. Anyway, mask wearing keeps because you don't know whether someone is smiling or not. The general consensus seems to be that street harassment has largely been curbed by the pandemic. Still, a survey from the advocacy group One Fair Ra- Wage, One Fair Wage, found that 25% of restaurant workers reported a significant increase in sexual harassment during the pandemic. So I don't know what's going on there, but kind of interesting. Some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started, TGIF. Uh, Unemployment soared to historic levels last year as people lost their jobs due to the pandemic. And of course, it took a long time for a lot of people to get a job again some may still be out of work but the big one of the big concerns and i remember talking about this seven eight nine months ago uh, for people who are out of work concerned about now they're going to have big gaps on their resume when they go to try and interview for a job if you've ever interviewed for a job after having been out of work uh, for a long period of time, you know you got to explain that to the potential boss because they'll look at your work history and they'll see this big gap and they say, "What in the world? Why was uh, what? What's the reason for this big gap?" Uh, but in this case, LinkedIn career expert Catherine Fisher tells CBS this morning that people should not worry about gaps on their resume if they are pandemic related. She said recruiters are telling them that they kind of expect that a lot of people are going to have a gap during this period of time. What they are looking for, and this is some advice if you are looking for a job, what the potential business, the potential boss is looking for, the HR department or whatever, what they are looking for is what did you do during that gap while you were out of work due, due to the pandemic? Were you just sitting on the couch? Were you, you know, just wasting the time? Or did you put it to good use? Did you learn new skills? Did you get new certifications? It's how you take that time to be creative and learn new skills that they are looking for. She said, if you want to apply for a job that doesn't match your experience, uh, you want to, because a lot of people are looking at changing careers. Uh, using this as an opportunity to pivot to maybe something new. Uh, You want to highlight those transferable skills that you have. And again, what you have done during the course of the past year to prepare yourself for this career change, learning new skills, getting new certifications, and so on. So don't worry about the gap in employment. Just worry about uh, how you spent that time constructively. (laughs) And if you didn't use it constructively, I guess there's still time to to do that so that you've got something to talk about when they ask you about it. And lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, this is very interesting and something to think about. How often did your mom tell you when you were a kid, stop watching TV, it's going to rot your brain. Too much TV is going to rot your brain. Well, apparently, mom was right. A new study finds it is definitely bad for people to watch too much TV. But here's the thing. It is particularly bad for people in their 40s, 50s, and early 60s. Three new studies found that people who reported watching moderate to large amounts of TV 
experienced greater cognitive declines and had lower levels of gray matter in their brains once they reached their 70s and 80s compared to those who reported watching very little TV over the course of their lifetime. Lead study author of one of the studies, Ryan Doherty, says, In our findings, television, re- uh, television viewing remained associated with cognitive function and gray matter volume after accounting, even after accounting for physical activity, suggesting that uh, sedentary behavior may impart a unique risk with respect to brain and cognitive health. And some studies suggest that TV watching might be a particularly harmful sedentary behavior, as it is a passive behavior that doesn't involve a lot of cognitive stimulation, which is associated with a greater risk of developing cognitive impairment. So, bottom line, your mom was correct when she said too much TV would rot your brain, because it appears it literally does, although the uh, impact doesn't show up until much later in life. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, partly sunny today with a high pushing 90, partly cloudy tonight, a low of 63. After being grounded for a year by the COVID pandemic, Flag City Honor Flight is ready to fly again. Our last flight was uh, September of 19, so it's been a while. We did two flights in 19 and two bus trips, and we are planning that again for 2021. Flag City Honor Flight President Bob Weinberg says the two flights this year will be in September and November, and the two bus trips are set for September and October. Veterans interested in making the trip to Washington, D.C. to visit the war memorials built in their honor are encouraged to apply now. Get more details on our website. Hancock Public Health has been accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board. The health department says the milestone accomplishment is official recognition that the agency meets or exceeds the rigorous standards established by the nonprofit Non-Governmental Public Health Accreditation Board. Hancock Public Health says the achievement of national accreditation will help guide their work to better protect, promote, and preserve the health of people in the community. The health department thanks all their staff who worked hard to get them to this point amid the pandemic. Federal prosecutors say a man who plotted an attack on a Toledo-area synagogue has pleaded guilty. Damon Joseph, also known as Abdallah Ali Yusuf, was arrested in December 2018. He pleaded guilty to attempting to provide material support for the Islamic State terrorist group and attempting to commit a hate crime. Prosecutors say the 23-year-old Joseph drew attention after posting photos of weapons and vows of support for ISIS on social media. The plot was uncovered during Joseph's conversations with undercover FBI agents. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. Some nice recognition for a Finley City Schools librarian. The Ohio Educational Library Media Association has named Amanda Brassfield as the recipient of their Emerging Leader Award. High school principal Ryan Imke, in his letter of recommendation, said that Brassfield's innovative approach and strategies have led to a transformation of the library at Findlay High School. Get more on the recognition on our website. And get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. With Memorial Day kicking off the summer season and temperatures already into the 80s this week, that's going to get people thinking about jumping into the pool again. Many public pools that were either closed or limited in capacity will be opening again soon. Rowdy Gaines is a three-time Olympic gold medalist swimmer and ten-time world record holder, someone who has obviously spent much of his life in the pool. And I saw this survey 
that uh, many people are eager to dive in, but somewhat hesitant and even concerned about potentially big crowds at the pool. Is COVID-19 spread through swimming pool water? Is this anything we should be concerned with? Yeah, Chris, that's, that's right. I think most people are cautiously optimistic. And one of the biggest concerns we found through the survey was just that, is COVID spread through water? And the answer is absolutely not. That And that's according to the CDC. There's no evidence whatsoever that COVID can spread through pool water. In fact, it found just the opposite, that if a properly chlorinated pool is in store, that water kills the COVID virus. So if anything, you're safer in the pool than you are on land. Um, so uh, that that definitely dispels that myth right there. What are some of the other uh, findings from uh, this year's Healthy Pools survey that we mentioned? Yeah, healthypools.org did this survey, and we uh, interviewed about 2,000 people, and we found that most Americans are planning to swim this summer, 70%, and that's up from 52% last year. Uh, I think the other concern are the large crowds, obviously. You know, when you have so many people in a in a water park or in a pool, mm-hmm. uh, people are worried about that. But Chris, I will tell you, um, over the last year, I think we as society, certainly from a pool operator side, have learned so much about you know, social distancing, wearing masks, um, making sure that you're taking all the safety protocols to understand what it means to be in a, in a situation where there are a lot of people. And it's no different in a pool. Uh, uh, most pool operators understand that they'll require a limited pool capacity in some places this summer. Um, and, and that's something I'm zero worried about just because I've been to so many pools over the last year. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm very proud of our industry. I work for the Pool and Hot Tub Alliance, and I'm very proud of our organization and our alliance uh, and our industry and the fact that our pool operators are doing just that. They're very diligent on keeping their pools uh, safe and secure. With respect to those uh, commercial or public uh, swimming pools, water parks, and so on, what should those uh, operators be doing or what are they doing uh, to keep swimmers safe? Kind of reassure those who uh, are still maybe a little bit anxious. Well, I, I think it's it's to the fact that I've been to so many that I have found, not only through the survey, but I have found that Pool operators really need to do and continue to do a good job of communicating and educating the expectations to these swimmers when they walk into a facility. Uh, so that can mean something as simple as, you know, hey, make sure you have your face mask on in the, on the pool deck. Uh, make sure that you don't use the locker room because still there are some locker rooms that are closed. Uh, make sure you stay socially distant on the pool deck itself and in the pool. Uh, but again, these are just common sense things. Mm-hmm. Um, and our, and I, and I'm very proud of our pool operators because they're doing a great job of that. Uh, I, I've been to many facilities where I've seen the lifeguard dip down and test the pool water for making sure that it's properly coordinated mm-hmm. like every half hour, every hour. I think they've always done that, 
but they're even more diligent now. Yeah. Um, and again, uh, maybe some of those uh, precautionary measures will be eased as the summer goes on, uh, as we right. get further and further into it. But uh, certainly at the outset, folks should expect uh, many of these same types of protocols to be in place, at least at the very beginning. And you know, uh, last year, uh, with many uh, municipal pools and public pools were closed, or again, access was drastically limited, we saw a, a huge uh, spike in the number of people installing uh, their own personal backyard uh, pools and and tubs and and, and uh, things of uh, that nature. So uh, again, here's a reminder that if you have one of those, this may be the first time that you are reopening that pool uh, after the uh, winter season. So obviously, got to go through the proper protocols to do that. It's not as uh, simple as necessarily taking uh, the cover off and diving in. Oh, you're so right, Chris. Great point. And and it kind of leads me to my next point that I love talking about is this water safety. You know, the the residential pool building has exploded over the last year. In fact, many communities around the country, if you want to build a pool, it's going to take at least a year to get it done. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Which is great news because I've never had so much joy and love with my family as swimming in our backyard pool. I live in Florida, so it's a little easier. Um, But uh, it also gets me to the point with keeping your children safe in and around water. Um, and the biggest point I want to make is making sure you put your children through swim lessons. Uh, 88% of those that have done swim lessons, it's reduced that risk of drowning. So we haven't literally found the cure, but we're well on our way to saying swim lessons prevent drowning. Um, and uh, most drownings happen in, in, in front of an adult. In fact, a quarter of them happen during family gatherings. And I think with the age of smartphones and everything, we, we, we don't, we tend to not pay attention. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I beg parents to put their kids in swim lessons and please stay diligent, um, and watching your children when you're in your backyard situation. Absolutely. Safety first. Again, Rowdy Gaines is a three-time Olympic gold medalist and 10-time world record holder, somebody who's spent a fair amount of time in pools over the years. So he knows what he's talking about. Rowdy, where do we get uh, more information about the Healthy Pools Survey and more info about uh, healthy swimming in general for the summer season? Well, the survey is up on our healthypools.org website, and that will give you a lot of information about uh, how to handle that information and what to do. Um, uh, as I said, our Pool and Hot Tub Alliance is such a great advocate for our, our, our uh, operators and owners and builders. Um, that's phta.org. And then I also work for the foundation part of PHTA, Step Into Swim. Um, which provides grants to lesson providers across the country to teach our children how to swim, um, especially in our underserved communities. Uh, so that's stepintoswim.org. All kinds of websites to go to, but uh, certainly those three will definitely help you as you head into the summer. Rowdy Gaines, thanks very much for taking the time. Happy swimming this summer. Uh, thanks, Chris. Have a great summer, buddy. Well, our next guest made a name for himself in the world of business, writing business proposals and business plans and authoring two business books. Now, he has added novelist to that resume with the release of a new thriller called Unfinished Business. Tony Tedeschi joins us this morning. And Tony, does the, the does that title 
uh, also imply that you felt you had a little unfinished business of your own? Was this something that you always had kind of in the back of your mind that you wanted to do? That's really a good question. Um, the uh, My, my uh, writing career sort of followed three paths. I, I did a lot of business writing. I did a lot of travel writing um, for newspapers and magazines. And I, uh, I did some uh, ghosting of uh, two detective novels. And, <clears throat> excuse me, along the way, those three parallel paths started to intersect. <laughs> and this, it actually began about 20 years ago, and it was one of these projects that I couldn't quite put down. <clears throat> I mean, in the process of doing something like this, it's not one of your paying gigs, so it is yeah. something that you, you tend to go back to. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. But so, the answer to your question is yes, I really did want to do it. So this book is described as a prov- provocative and, and obviously insightful uh, thriller uh, in which the lustful pursuit of corporate profits is more important than all else, including the lives of people who get in the way. So kind of give us a bit of a synopsis here of the uh, story. Sure. It's about the unintended consequences of a business decision and, and the real world impact on the, on the lives of real people. But in my book, you know, what if the cause, you know, that sets the whole thing going is separated from the effects by years and many layers of uh, other business decisions? You know, how do you connect the effects and the cause mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a mystery uh, or a thriller? You know, so that is, in fact, the you know, what goes on with the, um, you know, with the title, Unfinished Business. It's it's odd that um, at one point, you know, several weeks back after all of this had been completed, after Amazon had had already published the book, I just sat down and I started writing sort of what headlines with some some of the chapters would be. And, you know, among them were like devastating computer hack, you know, like the one going on with the the pipeline. Yeah, yeah. Interruption of the international supply chain, illegal manipulation of short sales, money laundering through a Caribbean bank, on and on. And I thought all of this is in my book, yeah. but um, but it's not it's not headlines. It's it's what happens to real people, you well, know, in the in the process. And and that's kind of what I was going to ask. How much of this is based on the real world of big time corporate maneuvering? How pervasive is this uh, kind of mindset in that universe? Well, you know, uh, it's there. It, it, it exists as an undercurrent all the time. But one of the, one of the points I, I, I want to make to people is this is not an anti-business book. This is not anti-business. Mm-hmm. This is about, you know, good guys versus bad guys within a business environment and how the, what the good guys need to do to make to get things back on track. Um, so, I mean, pervasive, yes, um, you know. Good guy, pervasive also. I've also worked mm-hmm. with some of the best CEOs and best managers, uh, you know, that you could possibly work with. So that that being said, uh, obviously there are uh, moral and ethical business questions that are raised uh, in this story. So um, you know, it is an entertaining read, obviously, but there is uh, a, a deeper story uh, at its core. Yes, there is. You know, interesting thing is, um, um, in the in the course of, of my whole career, I you know I, I scribble in notebooks and, and and so on, and certain people kind of stand out and they start coming forward, and you you start looking at them uh, f- from a, a, a larger perspective, and you know mm-hmm. what what if this happened instead of that, and so on and so on, um, and then it 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 evolves into a story. Um, 
I find in, in, in writing fiction, it's when the characters sort of separate themselves from, from the real world and they begin telling the author what to do. Yeah. So while we're on this subject, uh, you know, of these uh, eternal questions, let me ask you for your take. And as so this is kind of the eternal question in big business, is it power that corrupts individuals in high positions or is it their corruption that allows them to ascend to those positions of power? That's a real conundrum because, you know, really both are true. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 what I find and what, what was a real driver in this story is, um, is what is, you know, what is excused as simply business? Yeah. You know, you, you can have situations where, you know, you have a terrible, you know, result from something. And when, when, you know, when it's questioned, when it's investigated, the answer is, well, you know, it was just business. You know, it was simply business. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this was not what we intended to happen. And, and that's what drives this book. And, and the follow-up uh, is probably the other eternal question, is ethics dead in the business world? And, and like you were saying earlier, this is not necessarily an indictment uh, or not intended to be an indictment of uh, big business in its entirety. No, I don't believe ethics is, is dead. I, I believe business... You know, business reflects, uh, you know, the world in general. Um, I mean, business is what drives the world for us. I mean, it, it, it makes us, uh, it makes available to us all the things we need to, to do, you know, to live our lives. Um, I, I, I finished a business book a couple of years ago um, about a company that made nonstick coatings. And when uh, people asked me uh, a, a book about nonstick coatings, what is it like five pages long? You know, every, <laughs> everybody thinks everybody thinks of their frying pans, and that's it. But this company makes stuff that makes the world run so smoothly, so smoothly. Everything from windmills to coatings on your pistons and cylinder walls in your car mm-hmm. that they they drive. You know, um, making the world a better place, making the world a less polluted place. And, you know, what would we do without them? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I guess the, the, the question really becomes uh, for those of us who are not uh, in that world uh, on, a, on a daily basis, what people really want to know is, you know, these questions of uh, corruption and power and ethics and morals in business, are those questions that are still asked and still discussed in the the corporate boardrooms in the c-suite i mean and are the answers any different today than they ever have been yeah of course they're discussed and um when you have situation like that like like for example the prototypical you know corrupt ceo in my novel um, they're usually, they often rise to power because they, they know how to trample on people and trample things. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you, when you need to take them on, uh, you're, you're, you're really going way out on a limb. Um, what, what happens in, in my book is, uh, I mean, the company to the, to a great extent is so cowed by, uh, what the CEO in the book is, is doing that it takes really a driving force among outside directors 
right, to start the, to start to question what's going on, and then you know things just begin to fall apart. You start to see what 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 was really happening. Yeah. Now, as you were mentioning earlier, you have actually been a ghostwriter before, so this is not your first foray into fiction writing. But I would imagine it's a lot different when it's your name on the dust cover. Yeah, of course it is. Um, I, I spent years, I had a very, very good friend for 40 years, uh, a guy named Donald Bain. Donald, Donald Bain was the most prolific ghostwriter in, in history. He wrote over 100 books. He wrote uh, most of them as a ghost. And he wrote all of the Margaret Truman uh, mystery novels. He wrote all the books spun off the murder. She wrote a television show, 43 mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. He, he would get so many, so many projects, you know, uh, to do uh, ghost books that he, he spun a couple of them off to me. So I, <laughs> I eventually ghosted, ghosted for the ghost. But in the, in the process of doing that, I really learned a lot about pacing and characters and so on, uh, which, which I, I guess so he sort of injected me with the disease of having <laughs> <laughs> so it's all so it's all his fault um in the in the end what do you hope that people take away from unfinished business uh i mean you know again obviously an entertaining read but going beyond just that what do you hope that people take away i i, I hope uh, what i hope people take away is to to understand that, that, that business Business decisions have real consequences, and when they have real consequences, right, you can't dismiss them as simply business. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this again, this is a study of what happens when that that is tr- you know wh- when people try to do that. Yeah, uh, Tony Tedeschi is with us uh, this morning. The uh, new thriller is Unfinished Business. And Tony, do you have a website where folks can learn more about the book? Yes, absolutely. It's uh, called naturaltravelerbooks.com. Literally, uh, you know, it's all as one word, uh, exactly that, naturaltravelerbooks.com. It's, a, it's a, uh, a new indie imprint that I've created. We've got three other books in the pipeline. And, what you know, our, our objective is to turn out really interesting, very well-written books. Tony, thanks very much for taking the time. Best of luck with the book. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for having me. This week, uh, seven now former members of Pi Kappa Alpha fraternity appeared in court for the first time, pleading not guilty to charges in connection with the death of Bowling Green State University sophomore Stone Foltz earlier this year. Rex Elliott is a partner in the Columbus law firm representing the Foltz family in this case. That firm, Cooper Elliott, also represented the family in a similar case at Ohio University back in 2018 which led to the introduction of Collins Law aimed at stopping these tragic hazing incidents. Uh, Didn't go anywhere when it was initially uh, introduced, but now is being reconsidered in the Ohio legislature. In case you missed it, uh, we spoke with uh, Rex Elliott, uh, the attorney, after that tragedy happened back in March. What will it take to finally end the problem of hazing on college campuses? I have to tell you, Chris, every time something like this happens, it takes me back to our last case and the case before that and the case before that. I believe strongly that we are focusing on the wrong target. I think we need to be looking from the head down. We need to be looking at 
the international fraternities, number one. They need to be more accountable, more responsible for what is going on in their uh, local chapters. They are simply looking in the other direction. And number two, we need to hold universities accountable for what is happening on their campuses. And the reality is universities are reluctant to do that because so many of their alumni are Greek and they get tremendous amounts of money from those people. And until we start from the top and target the top, the people that are responsible for supervising these kids, unfortunately, I think this is going to continue to happen. Schools will also say a lot of this is happening off campus and it becomes a very dicey area for uh, schools to try and regulate things that happen outside of their physical footprint, doesn't it? I don't accept that. The reality is these organizations are the entire empowerment for these organizations comes from the international fraternities. They are the ones that uh, enable 100, 150, 18 to 22 year old boys to congregate together and to learn these rituals and to perform these rituals. And the universities allow this. If it weren't for the empowerment of these organizations, this kind of stuff would not be happening. You talk about the uh, possibility that maybe it is time for uh, Greek life to just go away. Is it a relic of, uh, of the past that, that really is irrelevant now? I do believe that the time has come in 2021, and I was a fraternity member in my college. I think the time has come to, um, uh, to drastically reform Greek life on campuses. And I think that means if I were the president of a university, uh, I would not wait until a 20-year-old kid had died in a hazing incident. What I would do is I would suspend every single fraternity right now, and I would uh, make it crystal clear. Until you can show us that you can responsibly return. Look, you know, there are many sororities out there that are involved in hazing as well, but lots of sororities uh, engage in great community um, support and philanthropic activities and so on and so forth. If I were the president of the university, I would shut down Greek life right now, and I would tell every single fraternity, you are not allowed back on our campus until you can demonstrate that you will... I, this isn't about this isn't about demonstrating that we won't, uh, uh -huh. you know, uh, kill another kid. This is about demonstrating that we can be responsible. We can be a positive influence on this college campus. Otherwise, there, there's no place for fraternities anymore in 2021 in this country. There will be the argument uh, by some that uh, not all uh, forms of quote unquote hazing are created equal. Uh, there are uh, the uh, uh, rituals and traditions that are uh, perhaps embarrassing to a pledge, but not physically dangerous. Is a zero tolerance policy does that risk driving all of this underground and and make the problem even worse? Well, push-ups and running and backpacks and, and doing cleaning and things of that nature, you're right. Those are less forms of hazing, but it is, it is a slippery slope. It is those forms of hazing that lead to what we're seeing on these college campuses with the more dangerous activities, you know, getting pledges drunk and having them swim across a river, um, uh, standing yeah. on glass. I mean, it's the, it's a slippery slope. It gets, it gets progressively worse. I, uh, I, I think there is a, there absolutely needs to be a zero tolerance policy. Now driving the activities underground, 
Maybe that'll occur uh, for a short period of time, but I, I, I firmly believe without organization, without the empowerment from international fraternities and the universities, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for these kids to, to, uh, to find an outlet and to organize and congregate. They, they will find their way into other activities in college campuses that are far more productive than what is going on right now. And to be fair, uh, this not only involves uh, the Greek system. I think a few years ago there was a uh, uh, story out of Florida State, if memory serves, uh, about a, a band member that uh, collapsed and died after a, a hazing incident. So this doesn't just happen within the uh, Greek system, which brings up the, the point how can you yes we can uh, we can look at Collins law and again state legislators are, are now saying that uh, they're going to take a, another look at that and and maybe we see some action uh, on that legislation but how do you uh, affect all of this change can it be strictly done through legislation such as Collins law you're a hundred percent right there's there's no place for hazing anywhere not in a band not on a sports team not on a not on a college campus in Greek life, nowhere. I, I truly believe that Collins Law will go a long way toward because it it, it, it makes um, severe consequences, felonies for uh, certain hazing activities. It, it asks, it calls for transparency. But I'm going to go back to my original point: the legislation's not enough. We need to hold accountable the organizations, the international fraternities, and the universities that are enabling these groups to behave the way they are on college campuses. If, if we do all that, we will go a long way towards making sure we don't lose another young life to a, a senseless, absurd, unnecessary tragedy like this. Again, our conversation back in March with Rex Elliott, a partner in the firm uh, Cooper Elliott, the law firm representing the Foltz family in the BGSU hazing case. We mentioned on Wednesday of this week, seven members of the uh, Pi Kappa Alpha fraternity appeared in court for the first time, pled not guilty to charges in connection with Stone Foltz's death. If you want to check out the complete uh, interview with uh, Rex Elliott on the topic of ending the problem of uh, hazing on college campuses, college campuses. Check out the Good Mornings podcast edition uh, back from March the 10th. You can go back into the archives and listen to the uh, full interview. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. I understand the uh, pandemic has uh, led to a lot of boredom. Uh, for many people, but this may be a little over the top. A man in Sierra Vista, Arizona, found police on his doorstep after they got reports of an explosion and debris raining down on his street about uh, five o'clock in the evening on Monday. Police officers found, quote, several pieces of what appeared to be a broken bowling ball, unquote, at the scene. <laughs> Police say that James Jaggers, age 35, told them he was mixing compounds. Uh, turns out those compounds were so dangerous that an explosive ordnance disposal unit was brought in and nearby homes were evacuated as a precaution. The bomb squad determined that the debris in the yard was what remained of a homemade explosive device. Apparently, just because he was bored, he decided to blow up at least one bowling ball, maybe more. <laughs> uh, 
Mr. Jagger is now facing charges of endangerment, manufacturing prohibited weapons, and possessing a prohibited weapon. The investigation is ongoing. (laughs) I understand you get bored during the pandemic, but maybe a little over the day. And I understand maybe you're frustrated with your bowling game, too, but (laughs) taking it out on your bowling ball is probably not a good idea. Elsewhere in the broken news... This in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, yesterday morning, a car plowed into the side of a building, uh, ended up partially inside the building uh, in the uh, city's Beachview neighborhood. Police say no one was in the car when they got to the scene of the crash. Both airbags were deployed, leading police to believe two people were in the car. Um, police were following up with hospitals to see if anyone from the crash happened to show up for treatment. A building inspector was called to check the stability of the building and a tow truck uh, pulled the car out of the building. What makes this story worthy of the broken news is that the building that this car plowed into (laughs) was an auto dealership called We Buy Any Car. I don't know that they're going to buy that one, though. You know, then they probably have some limits <laughs> on that. Uh, speaking of cars in the broken news, police in Mankato, Minnesota, recently called to a local car dealership, arrived to find 35-year-old Jennifer Weber lying in the back seat of a Chevy Silverado with her feet in the air, um, <clears throat> pleasuring herself. Let's just... She was having a good time <laughs> in the back seat all by herself. She wasn't with anybody else. She was all by herself. Uh, she uh, eventually uh, exited. It took police an hour, an hour to coax her out of the truck. Uh, she eventually exited the vehicle after what are described as prolonged negotiations and was taken into custody, was sent to uh, the mental ward of a local hospital. Police say they recovered drug paraphernalia and methamphetamine from the woman, the owner of uh, the uh, vehicle, uh, tells uh, police his... This is the thing. It wasn't, a, it wasn't like she was just testing out a new vehicle that she was considering buying. <laughs> Maybe you could understand that. But this was a vehicle that was uh, at the dealership for service. <laughs> and uh, the owner insists that Ms. Weber did not have permission to enter the vehicle. She certainly did not have permission to do what she was doing in the back seat. Again, does he want it back or is he looking to trade it in right now? I think that's what, (laughs) I think I'd just be really ready to, you know what? Just keep the car. Give me a new one. (laughs) Ms. Weber faces multiple charges, including uh, indecent exposure and uh, possession of narcotics. And just for good measure, because she was in a vehicle, they've charged her with DUI. She was intoxicated and in a vehicle, so there you go. Uh, This is a weird traffic story. A thrown banana appears to have led to a shooting in Florida. Robert Lewis of Largo, Florida, was arrested yesterday for shooting at another man during a road rage incident in Pinellas Park. Uh, Police say Mr. Lewis and the victim got into an argument while driving separate cars on Highway 19 on Tuesday morning, and the victim threw a banana at Mr. Lewis's truck. He threw a banana at his truck, so Mr. Uh, so the other guy, uh, Mr. Lewis, 
Uh, really, he did what I think any reasonable person would do. Somebody threw a banana at my truck. Uh, he responded by shooting at the victim. <laughs> uh, the uh, victim only suffered a cut on his leg from the broken glass uh, being shot at the vehicle, but uh, he is expected to be okay. So he was not actually shot. Wow. <clears throat> That's uh, taking things <laughs> a little too far. On the other hand, you know, hey, you throw a banana at a guy's truck. You got to expect something's going to happen. And finally, in the broken news this morning from the International File, traffic cones all over England can now breathe a sigh of relief after a pylon shaggers reign of terror came to an abrupt end. You heard that right. The Daily Star reports that Trevor Smith, who narrowly avoided going to jail in 2019 for having uh, intimate relations with a traffic cone in public, <laughs> decided to try it once again. Uh, getting frisky at a train station. A staff member came across a pantsless uh, man, Mr. Smith, sitting on the station floor and thrusting into an upside-down cone on his lap, <laughs> according to the report. When officers picked him up, Mr. Smith claimed his pants had just fallen down. But a witness told a judge, I believe he was trying to have relations with the cone. And uh, he also said the uh, guy appeared to be high on something. He dodged prison in that incident, but on Thursday was sentenced to 10 months in prison after pleading guilty to indecent exposure for another act. This time, several people observed as a naked Mr. Smith enjoyed himself from the front window of his own home. You would think if you were in your own home, you could, but he was in full view of a, a group of children at the time among the shocked bystanders. So <clears throat> he's uh, been carted off to jail and traffic cones all over England are finally safe. So I guess the story has a happy ending in that respect. There you go. That is today's broken news report. This update of the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. This is Ed Vlance with OSU Extension. It's planning season. Drivers will be sharing roads with tractors and farm machinery. Be alert for slow-moving vehicles, especially on roads with limited visibility. Watch out for equipment pulling in and out of fields. Drivers and farmers, let's work together this spring to keep our roads safe and accident-free. This message from WFIN and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Do you remember back in 1995 when Princess Diana sat down with the BBC for an interview uh, in which she dished on her unhappy marriage. She really just steamrolled the royal family, and it was a, a big, uh, big headline uh, interview. Well, this week, the BBC, or an independent results of an independent investigation into the methods used uh, by the BBC to secure that interview, uh, give the press a black eye. Apparently, there were some underhanded tricks and some deception, some uh, unethical behavior used to convince Princess Diana to sit down for that interview. And in the wake of that, uh, and of course, the recent bombshell interview with uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle that made all of those uh, headlines more recently, new survey of Britain's finds that more and more 
say maybe it's time to just retire the monarchy altogether. Among those in Great Britain between the ages of 18 to 24, so young adults, 31%, just 31% support having a king or queen. Um, compared to 41% who believe there should just be an elected head of state. Now, of course, the head of government who actually leads the country is the elected prime minister, but the tradition of the monarchy continues, and a fair amount of young people uh, believe that it should just go away. Just two years ago, 46% favored the monarchy, with just 26% wanting it replaced. So those numbers have gone down precipitously just in the past couple of years. However, when looking at the overall results, and again, those were the results just among young people between the ages of 18 to 24, uh, when looking at the overall numbers, including people of all age groups, 61% support having a monarch, and just under one quarter believe there should just be an elected figure. The most overwhelming support for the monarchy, uh, the greatest support came among those age 65 and over, probably not surprising, uh, 81% support the monarchy in that age range. But of course, they've been around a much uh, much longer. I mean, the monarchy uh, dates bar, uh, back more than a thousand years, but this poll finds that many of the country's young people in particularly say that's long enough. My wife, Kyra, has joined us in the studio this morning. You're a big uh, royal fan, fan yes. of the uh, yes, royals. I, Not so much the uh, royals today, but no. more, you know, the I historical like the history. royals. Yeah. yeah, the yeah. history of it. Yeah. 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 I mean, where would we be if we didn't have a royal family? Where would Netflix be? There would be yeah. no crown. I know. I know. We can't have that. Yes. So, I think the uh, Britons really need to stop and think. Uh, yeah. You know, be careful what you ask for, getting rid of the uh, monarchy. Well, yeah. Is. Yeah. If nothing else, it provides an awful lot of fodder I'll, for yes. people around the world. So yes. I don't know if for it's a good idea or not. For other people to, uh, anyway. you know. <laughs> <laughs> Look. It is, uh, we love to be royal watchers. Yes, we do. I don't get it myself, but, uh, you know, for I those do. that do. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, my wife, Kyra, is here. It is time for another collection of yummy recipes from Kyra's Kitchen, as we uh, always do. We like to finish up the program, finish up the week. Uh, with a uh, collection of uh, fun and easy recipes that you can make for your family. And um, this certainly follows in into uh, that category. This would be perfect for uh, sometime when the kids are out of school. Mm -hmm. uh, we start with pull-apart pizza bites. Yes. So this is just using your refrigerated uh, Grand Flaky Biscuits. Okay. Uh, some pizza sauce, pepperoni, uh, sausage crumbles um, cooked. Uh, cheese, uh, half a tablespoon or a half a teaspoon of basil, a half a teaspoon of parsley, a half a tablespoon of minced garlic, and one tablespoon of olive oil. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Cut each biscuit into four and place them in a large bowl. Add your olive oil, your seasoning, your garlic, and a half a cup of your cheese. Um, add some of the mixture to a grease baking dish covering the bottom, then add sauce, cheese, pepperoni, sausage. If there's any other toppings that you like, you can put those on um, and then start another layer with your biscuits and then repeat the sauce, the cheese, pepperoni, and sausage again. Bake 30 to 35 minutes or until cooked through. Okay, so uh, just to clarify, when you talk about uh, cutting each biscuit yes. into fourths, you're, you're not talking about like 
as if they were tiny little slices, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and then you, I mean, you and can then do you them in quarters. Apart. Okay. No, no. And so then, each biscuit is separated. Uh-huh. And then so, you cut that biscuit in four. Gotcha. So yeah. again, these are the, the flaky biscuits that peel apart. Right. So you cut those and right. then you do the layers of the... No. No? I guess I'm no. completely missing this. Yes. I, I'm trying to envision that this is one that we have not tried out or yes. she has not tried out on me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess I'm completely missing So you missing just this. take each biscuit. Okay. Comes out separately. Okay. Right. Right. I get okay. that part. Cut that one biscuit into in, four chunks. Okay. Four chunks. And Four then you're chunks piling, like a pie. And then you're Yeah, don't piling. slice it apart. Okay, so you're just piling the toppings on top right. of the, the biscuits. Yeah. Got it. Well, you're putting them in a pan. You're mixing well, it yeah, with but, the stuff. And then you're putting a layer of the the chunky biscuit. So then it's like a pull apart. Okay. I think I got it now. I think I, I think I understand it. So this one, but we need a, a picture. Yeah, this one, I, I'm having trouble uh, imagining this, um, yeah. but I'll trust you on it. So okay. There you go, the uh, pull-apart pizza bites. <laughs> if you try it, and uh, maybe you uh, figure out what we're talking about, you yeah. can share. It's not like making individual pizzas. They're not making individual ones. You're making one big like glob of a thing, and <laughs> you're and you're pulling okay. and you're pulling and in, you're, just you're pulling, pulling them it apart. apart. Hence the name. Yes, pull apart, pull apart. pizza bites. Yes, okay. you can put them in a so, you can so put it in a bunt pan also if you want. Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, we've got the uh, recipes posted on our Facebook page on yes. the WFIN Facebook page. When you make the pull apart pizza bites, post the photos. Yes, uh, on the uh, on the page. Respond to the recipes comment on the uh, recipes with your photos of the pizza bites so that others can figure out so others like me who are trying to figure out exactly what this is supposed to look like can figure out how it's supposed to look like okay uh in addition to the pull apart pizza bites i think i've got this one uh greek salad cucumber boats yes okay so this one (laughs) this one is two large cucumbers um I don't. I don't like them too fat. Okay. Um, three uh, Roma tomatoes, one small red onion finely sliced, feta cheese finely crumbled, one teaspoon of dried oregano, a handful of basil finely chopped. Uh, that's fresh basil. Uh, two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, salt and pepper, and three tablespoons of Greek yogurt. So peel your cucumbers mm-hmm. um, and then uh, cut your cucumbers in half. Um, you can use like a, a spoon. Lengthwise. Yes, lengthwise. Okay. Yes, you can use like a spoon or something like that. Take the seeds out of the middle so you kind of mm-hmm. have like a little divot or a little like... A boat. Yes, a boat. In yeah. Your, yeah. And then um, then mix together your... Um, your chopped tomatoes, your onions, your oregano, your basil, and your feta. And then you're going to um, season with olive oil and salt and pepper to taste. If you don't want the salt and pepper, that's sure. fine because right. the feta has a, has salt, salty taste to mm-hmm. it anyways. Right. Um, spread a little bit of Greek yogurt, or if you don't have Greek yogurt, use sour cream. That's what I did okay. because I didn't have any Greek yogurt, so I did the sour cream. Uh, and then put your tomato um, mixture on top of that, All right. and you're ready to go. And Just if you want to make them that- smaller so they're kind of more bite-sized, you can then cut those yeah. and slice. So. Yep. So there you go. Uh, now that I can picture, I can I can yeah. see that uh, <laughs> Greek salad cucumber boats, and then for dessert, yes. and this is another one of those perfect summertime yes. desserts. Yep, uh, folks are gonna love this s'mores cracker. 
toffee. Yes. So a lot of people make toffee with saltine crackers. This is made with graham crackers because it's ah, s'mores. I got gotcha. So you take a box of graham, uh, your graham crackers, three-fourth uh, cup of unsalted butter, three-fourth cup of granulated sugar, one 10-ounce bag of miniature marshmallows, and six uh, milk chocolate bars uh, broken into pieces. So line a baking sheet with part parchment paper, mm-hmm. um, la- uh, laid your graham crackers in a single layer to cover the bottom of the pan, completely cover the bottom of the pan. You may have to break a couple of your graham crackers to kind of make it fit, fit in there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I only had to do that a couple times. I had to kind of do them in half. Finagle so, it to fit. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So then set that aside, preheat your oven to 375 degrees. Then in a small saucepan over medium-high heat, uh, melt your butter, add in your sugar, bring to a rolling boil, and stir constantly, because if you don't, it'll burn. One thing about toffee, caramel, that type of stuff, you mm-hmm. got to stir. Got to keep stirring. Yep. Once boiling, pour over the uh, pour over the graham crackers, place in the oven on the middle rack, for, uh, and then cook for about 10 minutes. Um, then take it out, sprinkle with your marshmallows evenly over the top, add the chocolate pieces, return to the oven for about two to four minutes until marshmallows begin to brown. Won't take long. No. And then remove from the ho- oven, cool completely, and once cooled, cut into bite-sized pieces and enjoy. Okay, so here's another question that I have uh, on this one. You put the boiling water on top of the graham crackers, it'll melt the graham crackers, won't it? No. No? Mm-mm. Okay. No. I would I would have thought mixture. it'd get all mushy and... No. So, nope. Plus, when you put them back in the oven, that crisps, crisps, crisps them back. Them That's why you put them back in the oven. So I guess you're putting the water uh, on so that the crackers don't burn. Right. And you end up with yeah. just kind of a good crust. Yeah. It's not yeah. really water. It's more your sugar and it's yeah. your sugar and... and uh, yeah, that, that concoction. Mixture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. All right. So it's not gonna. Yeah. It's not gonna. Um, no. Got it. Okay. No. All right. So oh, that's why and it's Kyra's pizza. Kitchen. pizza mm-hmm. We've had monkey bread. Yeah. Bingo. Same, same thing. Yeah. Okay. There All you right. go. Does that help? A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. I think people are seeing why it's Kyra's kitchen and not Chris's kitchen. That's the, <laughs> that's the thing. I'm there you go. Uh, some great <laughs> recipes, though, uh, from uh, Kyra's kitchen this morning: the pull apart pizza bites, the Greek salad, cucumber boats, and the s'mores cracker toffee. We've got those posted again on the WFIN Facebook page uh, and also linked up at our webpage at GoodMornings.net. My wife Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that puts a wrap on our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. We are always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. Also there, you can connect with us on social media. We've got links to our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. Uh, you can uh, sign up for our daily email newsletter. Uh, easy way to keep track of everything we're doing on the program. We shoot you... Uh, email the day before each program with an advanced copy of the rundown so you know what we're talking about the next day, who we're talking with, and when. It is absolutely free to sign up, easy to sign up, and you can opt out at any time. Check it all out, goodmornings.net. So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. And now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day and a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.